0: Uh, Sophia, I'm delighted to be with you uh, today uh, on on your blog so I'm going to hand it over to you
1: okay, thank you mm-hmm. um, Thank you for your time today and so could you first um, tell me more about yourself?
0: Sure, sure um, you know when i when I think about you at age uh, eleven i maybe I should go back to um, myself at age 11, um, when I was um, 11 years old, uh, I was living in the Washington, D.C. area, uh, particularly in suburban Washington, D.C. in Maryland, uh, and uh, I, was, uh, I really enjoyed reading uh, a great deal. Um, uh, I loved sports, uh, and, and I was uh, very active in sports, um, and, and I uh, didn't quite know what I wanted to be Uh, when I I grew up, um, but one of the things I found, um, you know, I grew up in a home um, that uh, was, uh, spoke another language, spoke Persian uh, um, language. um, uh, When I was growing up in the United States, it was a time of heightened political tensions uh, between Iran and the United States. My family migrated from Iran to the United States even before I was born. Um, then they went back briefly to Iran, and then I was born, and then, uh, and then I, they came back to the United States. So I was, um, you know, uh, very young in 1979 when the revolution took place, but, but I was, you know, uh, still in grade school. So in 1979, as, as you know from your readings, a revolution took place in Iran that overthrew uh, the government, uh, which was a monarchy, and it was replaced uh, uh, with a new government. Um, And as with all revolutions, there was great hope um, in in the beginning, um, but it has not turned out well. 40 years later, it is very clear um, that uh, the the revolutionary, the government has not delivered for the people of Iran politically, economically, socially, or culturally. But let's go back to me as an 11 year old. Um, I remember the news at the time was very hot There was news about the revolution. There was news about the uh, crisis um, of the hostage taking. Now you may um, know also that in 1979 after the revolution, a group um, took some uh, American diplomats hostage, which obviously violates all sorts of international diplomatic rules and also violates basic human decency. Uh, and, and, and then it was on the news all the time. I think from that time, when I noticed my parents very actively engaged in watching the news, very actively engaged in trying to understand what was happening in their homeland. I think from that time, I took an interest in journalism because after all, I was, I was looking at the television and seeing my parents, their eyes were fixed on the journalists at the time. And the journalists at the time were the very famous ones were people like Peter Jennings, um, people like Ted Koppel. Uh, and my parents were watching these, this dudes, Robin Wright. Um, uh, and, that, and then I think that might have started uh, the seeds of my early interest in journalism. Uh, then when I went to university, I began writing for the university newspaper um, and I had a very interesting moment, which tells you something about, um, there's a great word, it's called serendipity. Uh, you, you, you may know that word, but it's that things happen by chance sometimes. And, and, and uh, I was uh, walking through um, my university and I saw a poster on the wall uh, and it was uh, inviting people to apply for a journalism internship to work for an English language newspaper in the Middle East. Um, I applied and I was fortunate to be one of the five people selected that year. Um, There were four uh, choices to go to. It was a, uh, you could go to Amman in Jordan, you could go to Cairo in Egypt, or you could go to Dubai in the United Arab Emirates, or Jeddah in Saudi Arabia. Well, I didn't know much about uh, any of those places. Um, uh, I had traveled mostly to Europe in my life at that time. Um, I hadn't traveled much in the Middle East at all. Um, other than short trips back to Iran. Um, and, and so I chose Cairo, Dubai, Amman, and Jeddah, Saudi Arabia last. Well, it turns out the editor in chief in Saudi Arabia had asked for me personally. Um, and then uh, and they came to me and they asked, you know, would, you, would I go to Saudi Arabia? And I said, sure. So I found myself in Saudi Arabia, and about one month into my journalism internship in Saudi Arabia, um, uh, the editor called me into the office and he said to me, you know, Afshin, do you know why I selected you? Um, and I said, no, I actually have no idea why you selected me. He said at the bottom of your CV, um, uh, which is your resume, it said you were a, a tennis instructor, a certified tennis instructor. Uh, and uh, and as a result, I, I selected you because I need a tennis partner. Um, so as you can see, um, that those little things can have dramatic effects on your life. Um, uh, Because I maintained a relationship with that editor in chief. It was a very uh, dynamic um, newspaper that I was working for. um, And it kind of sent me on my way to a career in journalism followed by a career in uh, the world of development banking um, and then a career in the world of think tanks and research and institutes uh, and academia. Um, So we can talk about any of those uh, as you wish.
1: Okay, thank you. And so when you were a child, was there someone that you looked up to? Maybe someone in your family or someone famous at the time?
0: Yeah, that's a a very good question. Uh, You know, um, I I always, always, you know, one of the things that when you're, I think, you know, nine or 10 or 11 and you have this um, fascination with sports, um, you end up looking up to these uh, sports figures, um, which, which is a, um, which, the reality is, however, um, that I, sh- what I, whom I should have been looking up to at the time, and and I came to that later in life, is my father, um, uh, my father, who, uh, you know, came to the United States, um, built a life uh, for his family in the United States. Um, spoke English when he arrived, but it it was not his first language, obviously. Um, Built a medical practice, worked hard. And one of the things I I, I loved, and I I came to realize this as I was a teenager um, uh, and and into college, certainly, is when I would visit my father's medical office, I would see how his patients um, really adored him and they really loved him because they felt like he really cared for them. Um, And and his medical office was not in a um, wealthy part of uh, Maryland. Um, It was in a part of Maryland where um, patients would come sometimes and they couldn't pay the bill, Um, but he would always, uh, um, you know, uh, make sure he took care of everyone uh, regardless. So so I think um, I I grew to, um, you know, uh, even as a teenager, realize that this was the kind of uh, person uh, I should admire later in life. However, um, uh, a figure that I really, really have come to admire um, is Leonardo da Vinci. I mean, th- figure throughout history, and and the thing that I admire so much about Leonardo da Vinci is his absolute relentless curiosity. He was curious about everything, um, and, and 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 Sophia, I hope you also embrace this philosophy. It seems like you already have with all the things that you're doing, but one of the great things about being young um, is you have a, a lot of time to read uh, um, uh, and absorb and reflect uh, and think. Uh, and, and this is what da Vinci, how da Vinci spent his life, uh, reflecting on everything. He didn't say, I'm going to specialize only in this or specialize only in that. He was an absolutely eclectic, dynamic, uh, relentlessly curious mind. And I've really come to uh, appreciate that and admire that quality.
1: Okay. Um, so then what was your dream job and did the person you admire at the time have anything to do with that dream job? Like for example, if you admire a sports figure mm-hmm. at the time when you were a child, did you want to also be a sports star when you grow up?
0: Yes, of course. I did, I, you know, I thought I was going to play in the NBA or, and if that didn't work out, I might play professional football. And if that didn't work out, I might play in Wimbledon or the US Open. Um, but by by high school, of course, um, you realize um, that, uh, that while I had a um, okay high school sports career, I played a couple of years of football and I played basketball and I played tennis for all four years, um, you quickly you know, uh, uh, switch your um, uh, ambitions. Um, and, and I think, uh, as I said early on, um, I had this uh, vision and this ambition and almost this romantic idea of being a foreign correspondent. Um, I thought there was something very interesting about that, dynamic, exciting. I was always attracted to travel. I was attracted to writing. I was curious about the world. Um, and then, what happened, in, and and what you know you will see happens to many people in life is, is you achieve your dream. In some respects, I achieved it. I was a First, I worked for that English language newspaper in Saudi Arabia. Then I worked for an an organization called the Reuters News Agency uh, in Dubai. Um, And and I was covering the Arabian Peninsula region uh, and Iran. And then I was writing for the Washington Post, the newspaper that I grew up reading. Um, So, you you know, you achieve something um, and then you realize that maybe it's not exactly what you were hoping for. Um, uh, the life of, uh, I admire so much, um, many journalists and, uh, uh, and the life they lead, but I realized that, that there were things back home in the United States that I still didn't want to miss all the time. Um, uh, I wanted to attend friends' weddings. I wanted to be able to be, uh, with my family more. I wanted to, you know, um, uh, I met uh, a woman I loved, uh, I wanted to, to get married, um, and so uh, my, uh, those early dreams of becoming a foreign correspondent um, shifted a little bit after having done it for a little while. Uh, and I found a, a life in in writing and thinking um, which still involved a lot of travel but didn't require me to be based somewhere permanently.
1: Okay, thank you and one of, your current job is the senior fellow in John Hopkins. Could you please explain what this position is about?
0: <laughs> Sh- sure, sure. Um, you know, there is a, uh, um, there are th- these institutions in the United States. There's a lot of them in the United States, but they're growing around the world. Um, and they are called think tanks. Um, uh, and, uh, and think tanks are interesting institutions because they are a gathering place of, thinkers and scholars uh, and academics and specialists. Um, uh, and, and what they try to do in these think tanks is they try to give you a home um, where you have the freedom to think and write and research and speak and disseminate your ideas. Um, so it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a very, uh, um, you know, in, in many ways, it's an extraordinary institution and uh, um, to, to be able to give people that freedom to think and write and research and speak. Now, I am uh, with the Johns Hopkins University School of Advanced International Studies Foreign Policy Institute. So it is the think tank within the Johns Hopkins University School of Advanced International Studies. And I should tell you a little bit about that. The the School of Advanced International Studies is one of the premier uh, graduate schools of international affairs. if you finish once you finish your college degree your undergraduate degree um, uh, you can apply to graduate school um, uh, and and if you are interested in international affairs um, uh, Johns Hopkins is truly one of the best um, in, in the world we have a campus in Nanjing China a um, full campus and we have a campus in Bologna Italy as well um, and it's a, um, a uh, you know widely you know recognized as one of one of the premier graduate schools. But what I like about it, um, uh, I'm not wor- so worried about those rankings. What I like about it is it's a relatively small uh, environment um, in the heart of, of the nation's uh, capital in Washington, D.C. Um, and, and some of the, and, and many of the academics um, at Johns Hopkins, I, I call them um, Ph.D.s and Ph.D.s um, and by that I mean they are people who do things very actively. Um, they're actively engaged in real world um, pursuits and they're not only doing things in academia. Um, uh, and so, the, the, so the, I'm a senior fellow at this think tank at Johns Hopkins University and I write and I speak and I conduct research. Uh, and I also um, teach um, as well.
1: What is the most enjoyable or rewarding part of your job?
0: Yeah, I I think the most enjoyable or rewarding part of my job is um, the research Um, and and, and being uh, curious about a topic and then going down the path of finding out more about the topic. Um, uh, I I find that when I'm on the hunt, um, uh, researching something, particularly if it's something that that I um, have discovered, uh, you know, in the course of my reading, um, and I I say, well, that's a very interesting topic. I should pursue that a little bit further. Um, And then as I'm going down that hunt, I find that to be very uh, enjoyable. Um, I also find, um, uh, believe it or not, uh, public speaking to be enjoyable, um, uh, and I know that there are some people who can find that very intimidating uh, and and daunting, um, uh, but I find uh, um, when you are well prepared uh, and you should always be well prepared, you should never um, you know get in front of an audience with without uh, you know appropriate preparation, but when you are well prepared and you 're engaging with the audience um, and and you are uh, uh, um, they're, they're, they're asking uh, probing and interesting questions that make you think further. I find that to be a very satisfying process.
1: And so, uh, aside from your um, job in John Hopkins mm-hmm. as a senior fellow, you also have a blog on yes. um, the New York Monitor. Yes. So, what first inspired you to start that blog?
0: Yeah, that's that's a great question. And by the way, Sophia, you're a great interviewer, so uh, um, uh, I'm, I'm, it's a pleasure speaking with you. Um, uh, you know, uh, I think what inspired me is I think I was a little bit late, frankly, with the blog. Um, uh, the 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 blog movement, you know, uh, had been going on for quite some time. Uh, many people had been, you know, uh, writing blogs and and, and launching blogs, um, and and I found that I I just had you know, often I had um, things that I wanted to share uh, with colleagues, with friends, uh, with other people in in my network and I I, I wanted, and I didn't always feel the need to write a long article. Um, So for example, if I wanted to share something in the past, um, I would reach out to one of the editors of the magazines that I wrote for, or reach out to an opinion editor um, at a newspaper, um, and I would write an article and submit it to them. And, uh, and, 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 you know, sometimes it would get published. Sometimes it would get rejected. Um, but the process was a, was a long process and, and there was some back and forth. And sometimes I just wanted to say, hey, did you see this really interesting article in the, in the Financial Times uh, about, for example, the, the rise of Turkish soap operas in Latin America? That's a really interesting story, isn't it? Um, or the rise of K-pop music across the United States, you know, um, uh, you know or, um, you know, have you seen the latest economic numbers? Have you seen the latest foreign direct investment numbers for China or for the United States? Um, so I wanted to be able to just write shorter uh, posts about issues that I thought were interesting. And the other thing that happens when you create a blog is is, is you are um, in many ways connecting with your colleagues, with your friends, uh, you're, you're, you're making new colleagues and you're making uh, uh, new collaborators, people who've read your blog and who write to you and say, have you ever thought about this? And have you ever thought about that? Um, but Sophia, what I found with my blog is, is uh, the demands of a blog are very high. Um, you know, to constantly post. And so I go through phases where I don't post as much as I should. I go through phases where there's two, like one month that I haven't posted at all. So maybe you can give me some advice on how I can keep up my posting um, in, in a way that, uh, that maintains uh, uh, the blog's uh, relevance. Because readers expect you to post regularly. How, how do you do it, Sophia?
1: Well, I think I try to post something every single week because I think that posting a blog like you should mm-hmm. write something that you think is interesting. For example, when reading a book, if you think that something the author brought up or even like a fiction book is well mm-hmm. like something you the author brought brought up and you think is really interesting, sometimes like maybe that could even be a blog because mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think it always should be like looking into the news or looking for books just mm-hmm. to write a blog. I think it should be maybe from everyday life. Um, maybe like, for example, going through like the news, for example, I read the New York Times and Economist. Mm-hmm. Maybe you find a really interesting piece and then you could do a blog about it.
0: Yes. Yeah, no, I think that's a really good, a really good point. And, and you could even... You know, sometimes I'll just make a book suggestion. Uh, I, maybe I'll see a line of poetry I like, um, and I can share that uh, line of poetry um, as well. Uh, and, and speaking of, of, of books, Sophia, I also wanted to sh- share with you a book. Um, I don't know if, if you know of this book, I'll, I'll, I'll uh, put it up for your readers. Um, it's called A Little History of the World. Um, and it's uh, by E.H. Gombrich, and it was written sometime in the 1930s, um, and it was written by uh, Gombrich, who was an art historian at the time, um, but he wrote this book almost as a letter um, uh, to, uh, to his children and, and, and grandchildren um, uh, that, that I want to tell you about the history of the world. So it's written with um, an audience of young people in mind, um, uh, and and he goes through the entire the history of the world from the dawn uh, of civilization, from the agricultural age, you know, from the stone age to the, the ice age. Actually, he begins with the ice age and the stone age and the bronze age into agriculture and on to our modern world. Um, and it's very well done. So I would uh, encourage you uh, to put it on your reading list as well.
1: Okay. Thank you. And. So, um, so when writing your blog, what do you think are one of your favorite topics? Mm-hmm. Like, for example, you, for example, what like your blog is called the new Silk Road Monitor. Yes. Um, what caused you to be the first interested in the like the new Silk Road? Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. That that's a that's a good question. I think it really began. Um, With that very first job I described to you um, uh, when I was working um, in a newspaper in Saudi Arabia, I was working um, uh, as a a very young, just out of college reporter, and this is like the early to mid-1990s. Um, and, and, and and one of the things that I was seeing um, as I was covering the business news mainly at the time is I would see South Korean trade delegations uh, coming in. I would, I would attend an event of the, and this is all in Riyadh Saudi Arabia and Jeddah Saudi Arabia. I would attend an event, say for example, of uh, a group of Japanese investors who were visiting uh, Saudi Arabia. Um, uh, at the time there wasn't as as many uh, visitors from China, but we were starting to see the very first signs of Chinese businesses coming in. And then it occurred to me, uh, all of those history books that I had been reading about the Silk Road was playing out before my very eyes. Uh, and then um, as I began continuing to travel and I, and I was a correspondent for the Reuters news agency in Dubai, Dubai was um, an ideal place to see this burgeoning New Silk Road because Dubai is one of the most cosmopolitan places on earth. You have about 150 different nationalities living and working uh, in Dubai. Um, uh, It's very common uh, today to be working in an office with maybe 15 people with 12 different nationalities. Um, And so when I was in Dubai, I was meeting um, you know, uh, traders and business people from Pakistan. I was meeting graphic designers from Indonesia. Um, I was meeting uh, um, uh, journalists from India. Uh, I was meeting uh, artists from Iran. Um, I was meeting uh, economists from the Arab world. And so you had this really interesting, dynamic, cosmopolitan environment. Um, and, and and then and then you really began to see. I think the most important geo-economic story of our modern era uh, is clearly the rise of China. Uh, and, 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 and as you know, we began to see China rise economically, we began to see much more of a uh, Chinese economic influence um, across the Arabian Peninsula into Africa. And as I was seeing all of this uh, in the year 2006, uh, I wrote an article for the Washington Post, um, and it was called "The New Silk Road," um, and it was one of the earlier articles that appeared um, in on this subject. And um, and and at the, I probably should have started the blog at that time, uh, but it took me another, you know, ten years or so uh, to to jump on the blog uh, wagon. But I'm glad I did. Um, so I think it really started very early on in my career when I was seeing this extraordinary uh, flows of people, uh, goods, uh, ideas um, in in so many ways that was reminiscent of the Silk Road that we had read about in history books, and I was seeing it live. And this is what I also want to tell you, Sophia, and also your your viewers, uh, your young viewers, is that there is nothing like travel. travel. uh, you know, there was a great Moroccan traveler um, uh, of the 14th century. His name is Ibn Battuta, and Ibn Battuta once famously said, "Travel uh, it it make it leaves you speechless, uh, and then it makes you into a storyteller." Uh, there is nothing like travel to see what is really happening in the world. There's you can you can get some basics from the books, but if it were not for my travel, I began. You know, I, I as I said, I was based in Dubai, then I began traveling to Iran and I saw the new Silk Road being played out in Iran as well. Then I began traveling to Asia. Uh, I, 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 I went to India, I went to South Korea, Japan, China, and I was really beginning to see it all, all play out before my very eyes. And I don't think I would have you know, actually felt and tasted it had I not done uh, that travel. So I think it's, it's vital for anyone interested in international affairs uh, issues, um, you know, certainly, you know, as you get older um, uh, uh, and, and you go out into the work world uh, to really spend some time uh, traveling and, and, as they say, um, getting, getting your shoes dirty on the road. Uh, there's nothing like it about in learning about the world. And the last thing I want to say about this, Sophia, is that as you travel, you also begin to see how universal our human aspirations are. Um, so whether I was in Iran, or whether I was in India, or whether I was in the United States, or whether I was in Egypt, I noticed that young people and, and people around the world really want the same basic things. They want they want um, uh, a, a decent job. They want good health care. They want safety and security. They want good education. They want hope. Um, uh, they want opportunity. Uh, and this is and so sometimes, uh, Sophia, you might find that your teachers and others uh, over classify people. They say that oh, those people and their culture is this way and those people and their culture is this way. But really at the end of the day, you know, we're all part of the human family. You know, we all have similar aspirations, similar hopes, similar dreams. Um, some people are simply more fortunate than others in being in environments in which they can realize those dreams and realize those opportunities, but it really, really hit me as I traveled to see how universal those dreams and aspirations and hopes are.
1: So, on your blog, what are some of the most recent topics you've been covering?
0: Sure. Um, one of the things I, I um, have uh, have been looking at uh, fairly closely is is the general uh, um, China, Middle East uh, relations. Because I think this is um, one of the things that we have seen a lot of is is stories about China's relations with African states, um, uh, China's uh, um, uh, relations across uh, East Asia, and we've seen less on on China's um, relations with uh, the Middle East states. So generally speaking, I cover that um, a, a good deal. Um, uh, and and what I found is, uh, I I found that so how do you tell a story like that that is that is so kind of you know big and has so many different layers. So what I decided to do is I decided to create a chart. Um, uh, and 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 what I what I simply did is I looked at the numbers. I looked at China's investments in uh, um, in in Middle East countries. Um, I, I ranked them uh, and then I worked with a graphic designer uh, to create a chart uh, um, uh, and, and I listed the top you know, 10, the top five, the top six uh, um, uh, destinations for China's investment in the Middle East and North Africa region. And then I also did the same for exports from the region uh, to China uh, as well. Um, so, so that's a topic that I often find myself uh, going back to. I also like uh, top top ten lists. Um, you know, I find you know top ten lists are a kind of a catchy way to tell a story. Uh, you know, the, the top ten. You know, uh, for example, the top ten um, largest. You know, uh, the top ten largest oil producers. You know, you, people when you ask them that question. Usually they say, well, number one must be Saudi Arabia or number one must be Russia, but number one is the United States, for example. Um, uh, The United States is the world's largest oil producer. Uh, So top 10 lists, uh, uh, you know, are a really interesting way to tell a story. And I would encourage you, um, Sophia, to think about that um, uh, for your blog, because you can take really any subject and you'd be, and you might be surprised. so for example, you could look at the, the, the top 10 largest uh, uh, companies by revenue. So one of the things I did recently is I looked at the Fortune 500 list of companies and I picked out the top 10 uh, Chinese companies from that Fortune 500 list. But you can you know, pick out the top 10 countries from the Arab world. You can pick out the top 10 countries from Latin America. Um, and so top 10 lists are are a, you don't, what I'm saying is you don't always have to craft a beautiful 800 word piece. You can, you know, simply do a top 10 list and often it may even tell the reader more and it may surprise the reader more and and stay with the reader longer than uh, an article.
1: Thank you and so, Do you have any tips for keeping such a big blog? Because on my blog, I only have like a few articles, but you have like a lot of articles on your blog. So do you have any tips on how to maintain such a good blog?
0: Sure, Uh, well, thank you very much, Sophia. You know, um, uh, as I said, with with posting the blog, um, it it requires, you know, posting every week, it requires discipline and it seems like you're doing that. So I congratulate you on that. uh, I think the, the other thing to think about when you are um, uh, you know, you know, launching a blog, writing a blog, is to, is to focus on um, uh, uh, different ways of disseminating information. Um, so as I said, there's always going to be a place for the written narrative short blog post. There's always gonna be a place for that. But what about simply a photo? A photo can tell a story um, in ways that uh, that an article can't always tell a story. As I said, a top ten list can tell a story uh, in ways that you know. So, so for example, you know, you may you may find a. I think it would be interesting to see what children are reading, you know, in China or in India. You know, top ten children's books. You know, top ten best selling children's books in India. Top ten best selling children's books in China top 10 bestselling children's books in the United States. Um, you, you, you know, and it may not be just children. You, you, may, want, you may find um, another topic that interests you. So a top 10 list can be uh, a very useful way uh, to d- disseminate the blog. But I think the key is to be relentlessly curious like Leonardo da Vinci. Um, uh, and then uh, once you, once you, you know, kind of uh, grab the topic, go after it, you know, research it, poke in every corner uh, of the internet, um, and then talk to people. Um, you know, you'd be, you know, when, when um, uh, you know, you reached out to me, um, uh, I was very happy to speak with you because you came very highly recommended to me. Uh, and, and, uh, and, and I think people that are in the world of uh, journalism and international affairs and economic, really in any field, when they see young people that are interested and curious uh, and want to learn more, many people will give you time. So so I think you can actually do more interviews uh, um, with people. Uh, Many people will will like to give you the time because we we, we appreciate uh, young people who have that curiosity. So these are some of my tips that I would give to you.
1: Thank you. And outside of your blog and your job, um, what are some of your hobbies that you like to do?
0: Sure. Um, you, you know, I uh, I, so I like to, I, I like to read novels. Um, uh, uh, and so I've been going through a phase of, of of reading more and more novels. Um, uh, I I read a, a novel called recently that really stuck with me, uh, called A Gentleman in Moscow. Um, uh, and it was a it was is a very beautiful uh, novel. Um, I still play sports. Uh, I, I am what is called a weekend warrior, um, uh, meaning um, uh, uh, you know on weekends I, I will go out there and, and play um, tennis um, and basketball. Basketball is a little bit harder these days, and because of the coronavirus. Um, uh, but I'm a regular tennis player, uh, and and uh, and I and so I still play sports. I have two children, uh, including one uh, boy that is uh, your age and a daughter that is a little younger than you. Um, so I am actively engaged with them. Um, uh, and uh, I, I read with them, I, I, uh, we hike together. Um, during coronavirus, I've, we found ourselves doing a lot more biking um, uh, as well. Uh, now, uh, before the coronavirus, I used to very much enjoy travel um, um, uh, we haven't been doing much of that, um, lately. Um, uh, but, but these are, um, the, the hobbies that, that keep me busy.
1: And when you said one of your, um, hobbies are reading novels yes. and also, um, so what are, what is your summer? What is your favorite book? And also, is there any book that you would recommend me reading?
0: Yes. Yes. Wow, there's so, there's so many there's so many. Uh, um, well, I certainly want to re-recommend a little history of the world, uh, um, you know, for you. Um, uh, you know, um, in, in terms of in terms of you know um, novels that I have um, uh, read um, recently, I think that would be good for you. Um, did you ever, by the way, did you ever read uh, The Kite Runner by Khaled Hosseini? Um, no. it's, it's a novel, it's a novel that, that is, um, at, uh, um, it's young, uh, adults are beginning to read it. I think it's being taught in junior high schools, um, uh, and, and in high school. Um, so I think it would be appropriate, uh, you know, for you. Um, uh, it's called the kite runner and it's a very beautiful story. Um, but it's also a tragic story and it's a, it's a sad story. So be prepared. You may shed a few tears, <laughs> um, uh, about, uh, um, a, uh, a young, uh, two boys in Afghanistan, um, uh, and, and how their lives get separated by the war, um, uh, uh, with the Soviet Union, how one goes to the United States and the other one stays in Afghanistan, um, and how, um, they, they somehow reconnect through the child of one of the uh, young men 20 years later. Um, uh, so it's a very beautiful story. So, so I think, um, you know, one of the novels that I would recommend is, is the, uh, uh, the Kite Runner. I would also recommend, um, uh, my son has been recently reading some of the Gareth Hines um, graphic novels of Homer's The Iliad and The Odyssey. Now, reading the actual Iliad and the Odyssey will come you know, at some point, but, but uh, uh, the graphic novel of the Iliad uh, and the Odyssey, and these are two of the, the greatest you know, epics in, in Western literature, um, I would, I would you know, highly recommend that. And the, it's, it, the author is H-I-N-D-S is the last name, Hines, um, and it's beautifully illustrated. Um, and it tells a, a story the story of probably um, you know the, the two of the most important epics uh, of the western world um, uh, so i would I would recommend that. Um, uh, th- there is also um, uh, uh, in in that same uh, vein um, a a graphic novel um, uh, that that is about uh, um, that was very affecting to me when I read it by a woman named Marjan Satrapi. It's called Persepolis. um, And it's about uh, her life uh, in Iran in the late 1970s at the time of the revolution and her life after she left Iran, living in Europe and trying to adjust uh, to her new life uh, there. Um, Now, it seems to me that you have already read um, uh, Tolstoy's War and Peace. Uh, I think it it may be um, uh, a a bit too early to, I don't know, but it sounds like if you've read War and Peace, Dostoevsky's, I I, I reread recently two books, um, two big books. I uh, reread Brothers Karamazov by Fyodor Dostoevsky. I would save that for a few years time, but the book that you can read now, um, that is a classic of Western literature Um, uh, is Herman Melville's uh, book, Moby Dick. Um, uh, And it's a classic of Western literature. And that is one that you can begin the process of reading right now.
1: Thank you for the recommendation. Not
0: at all, not at all. Uh, And then the other thing I would also um, uh, recommend, uh, Sophia, is um, as you read, um, uh, I would recommend you have a little notebook uh, by your side um, and and take notes. At least I find that to be a very useful uh, uh, thing to do as, as I read.
1: Um, so I I think that we are running a bit out of time. I don't wanna keep you for too yeah. long because I understand that you are very busy. Mm-hmm. So last um, but not least, is there any questions I didn't ask but you feel like I should have?
0: Yes, that's it. A, a, That too is a very good question. I think, Sophia, you were very thorough uh, and and, and you asked a lot of great questions uh, and and it was a pleasure speaking with you. Uh, And and if you ever need other uh, book suggestions, please feel free to reach out. And I wanna hear more about your uh, book selections uh, as well. Um, There is one other book, um, uh, a mutual friend of Ruz and I, Um, his name is Parag Khanna. Um, uh, He wrote an excellent book recently called The Future is Asian, um, in which he laid out, and is it a book that you know? Have you read it?
1: Um, I haven't read it yet, but I actually do have the book. I actually have
0: it. Oh, there it is. Oh, very good. Okay. All right. Very good. Very good. Yes. Uh, Parag is a good friend of mine, uh, and he did great work on that book. So I will tell him, I will tell him that you, uh, maybe uh, you can put that picture uh, up again and I'll take a picture of it and I'll send it to him. Uh, uh, why don't you put the book up again? There we go. And I will, I will send it to uh, uh, Parag and tell him that you're reading his book. Yeah. Uh,
1: thank you for your time today.
0: Thank you. Thank you, Sophia. And talk to you soon.
1: Talk to you soon.
0: Bye-bye. I, th- I thank you both.